0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Houndcast. I'm super excited to have our guests on today. They are new to the Moravian family, and we are just thrilled to have them a part of the pack and get to introduce them to you today. I'm Amanda Manza, your Director of Alumni and Parent Engagement, and I've got Justin, our Assistant Director here. How are you today, Justin?
1: Hi, everyone. Good, Amanda. How are you?
0: Good. Thanks for joining us and being with us today. I appreciate it.
1: Absolutely.
0: So our two very special guests for this episode are our new associate provosts in our DEI office and they have just kind of started here at Moravian. They're about a month into their tenure so we are pulling them onto the podcast super early Um, but we are excited that they're here with us. So we have Daisy and Nick. So, Daisy and I, am going to turn it right over to you guys so you can introduce yourselves and tell everybody a little bit about your background, where you're coming from uh, prior to Moravian. So, Daisy, you want to kick us off? Sure. Thank you,
2: Amanda. And you are spot on with the about a month. Today is actually our one-month Moravian. Oh, my interest. goodness. <laughs> so, how better to celebrate it than with y'all and sharing a bit of our story. So, That's definitely perfect. <laughs> the invitation. Um My name is Daisy, Associate Provost of Community Equity and Engagement and an assistant professor here at Moravian College. Um, Prior to that, I was working with Inclusive Community, a consultancy firm that I started that focuses on equity and inclusion. And we have a pretty neat model. We are a mission driven for profit. So we use our profits to support community led capacity building initiatives. Um, So in other words, not only do we teach folks about equity and inclusion, we also put our money where our mouth is and support those community led projects. so in addition to consulting, prior to coming here, I was with Macquarie University in Sydney, Australia, teaching some graduate classes over there, and the higher education institution I was at before that was in Northern Arizona University, so all very different places from Bethlehem. I was teaching applied indigenous studies there as well as ethnic studies also have a strong background in student affairs and student life with Multicultural Student Center, Native American Student Services, LGBTQ plus services. um, And then also with the University of Montana, where I'm a field instructor and this might speak to your passions, Amanda, um, teaching environmental science, geography and natural history for them.
0: Awesome. You have quite a wide range of background there. A little bit of everything and a little bit of everywhere, too, it seems like. Definitely eclectic. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're glad to have you with us. So thanks for joining us. And Nick, do you want to share a little bit about yourself?
3: Sure. I'm Nick Crary. I'm the Associate Provost for Academic Inclusion and Innovation and an Associate Professor in the Department of History. by training i'm a historian of africa and african americans and the african diaspora Um, most immediately i'm coming from the university of iowa where i served as the associate director for the center for diversity and enrichment Um, that was the only student facing unit within the division of diversity equity and inclusion there so i've had quite a bit of experience working with students and then also almost 20 years working as a faculty member at a variety of um, institutions, teaching African and African-American histories, most recently at Bowie State University, the oldest HBCU in Maryland. Um, what else? Yeah, again, historian by training, You know, most of my research was on Southern Africa and looking particularly at anti-colonial liberation movements and struggles. And so um, I've sort of, you know, brought that consciousness or awareness to bear on my work in African-American history. Um, Been doing a lot of work recently on the history of lynching in Maryland that started out as a research project with some students at Bowie State. And that led to the creation of the Maryland Lynching Truth and Reconciliation Commission of which uh, I am a I'm sitting as a as a commissioner on that on that body, and so mm-hmm. we're doing some some very you know, challenging but rewarding work. It's the only statewide uh, institution that is you know examining the the legacy of lynching. So I'm really excited about that work and to wow. to bring some of that to Moravian. Um, yeah, I'll stop there for now.
0: <laughs> no, that's fine. Absolutely. It's great to hear everything that you all are involved in and kind of that that broad audience that you, you know, have had and you have areas that you have worked in that you're able to then bring to Moravian. Um, so you both have been in higher education previously. Was that, you know, we were, we were talking a little bit earlier offline about kind of our, our backgrounds and, and where we came from. Was higher education something that you always kind of knew you wanted to go into?
3: Well for me I always jokingly say it was my high school students that inspired me to go back to graduate school to work at this level. Um, You know again I had a couple of years teaching high school and was less than thrilled having to teach the New York State Regents exam curriculum and I think I was, uh, well, my students were probably less than thrilled to have me teaching them. So um, that's when I made the transition to, to working in higher education. I also, you know, that's when I fell in love with doing research, um, you know, sort of getting, you know, what I like to call that stuff of history all over your hands as you're going through these boxes of documents that no one's looked at for like 50 years, <laughs> um, you know, but then coming out of the archives and sort of, you know, having that knowledge, you know, and that information to start talking with people to see how we can, and again, for me, it's not just, well, let's look at the, the dusty documents, but how do we make this a usable history? How do we use the history as a tool for liberation um, has sort of been the, the motivator for me. Um, and so I always, you know, am looking to find a way to, to use this as a tool um, so that the people about whom I'm writing and to whom I'm going to, to share their, their stories with, you know, how can they use the work that I do as a tool to further their liberation struggles?
0: Thanks for sharing that. Nick.
1: Appreciate mm-hmm.
0: Daisy, what about you? Did you know that you wanted to work kind of in higher ed all along, or was that something that came kind of down the line? I had no idea that I even wanted
2: to go to school and higher education. I had a bit of a a bit of a non traditional path to the academy. Um, first person in my family, and my father got a job for facilities, working the night shift, so the overnight shift, at a state university. And it was through his work that I was able to see higher education as a financial option for me. Um, and you know, since then, I. Graduated got my undergrad degree was one of those undecided students who switched majors a bunch of times almost dropped out of school instead I Rode my bike across the country to California and did a year there through National Student Exchange. And it just changed my outlook on education entirely. A lot smaller classes, a lot more engagement with faculty members, um, incredibly dynamic speakers that were coming to campus. And that's when my my love for higher education was really born as a pathway to a bigger, broader world um, beyond what, what I knew and had been exposed to previously. Um, And then from there, of course, I took my degree in hand, ready and and capable for a career and moved into my truck and spent five years uh, camping, working odd jobs and traveling the world. I am also the first passport holder in my family and would be the only one if Canada didn't now require a passport where my dad is from. So uh, certainly veered from the norm as far as my my family's lifestyle is concerned. Um, And it was a reality for me in ways that it wasn't for them, so that's something that I'm super grateful for. Um, I went back to higher education after my my five year stint, where I was primarily working on community organizing, um, different community-led initiatives, always with a focus and foundation on equity and inclusion, um, primarily with a focus on on native lands and rights. Um, And so I went back to higher education, again, uh, financial concerns about access and being able to achieve a higher ed degree. I picked a program that did not require standardized testing uh, because like so many students of color, there was a lot of stereotype threat you know, that I that I didn't belong an imposter syndrome. So I chose my graduate degree based on what institution did not require me to take a GRE for the major that I was going into for my master's in education. Uh, and so enrolled in a school in a town that I'd never been to before uh, based on being able to access that point. And that's something that really speaks to me at Moravian College with the testing optional, um, you know, that that it doesn't limit students based on an intellectual quotient that was created based on mainstream knowledges right and instead creates a point of equity and access for those students uh, who have told that they don't belong and don't see a lot of students who look like themselves there. So got my master's degree um, through that and while I was there uh, to get the tuition break I started working for the institution and found that I really enjoyed uh, being part of the higher education community and culture, made a lot of solid connections, met a lot of mentors, um, really learned a lot by listening and observing folks around me who knew how to navigate the system a lot better than I did. Um, and so after that, uh, I was, I was uh, committed. I guess you would say to higher education. I did find though that there were some limitations within higher education. I'm definitely somebody who believes in walking your talk and a lot of the community organizing that I was doing in the state of Arizona was around equal rights, was around immigrant issues, um, was around indigenous lands and sacred sites and development. And so being able to find my voice through inclusive community, having another hat that I could wear representative of the private sector where I wasn't necessarily representing the academy or the institution enabled me to really further those platforms um, as well as community organizing at the local level with city council. So definitely, grateful to have a versatile versatile number of things to get involved in and to continuously just Learn and be impressed by students. I take an approach to the classroom that we're all we're all teachers and learners, right? Educators and learners, and uh, it's just a matter of who's standing up depends on on how long they've been doing it, right? You know, not necessarily that they have something um, more to contribute than those who have the lived experiences in the seats. And I think that that's something that is really embraced here, right? Student agency, um, student voice and student intellect. So it makes it exciting to be here for
0: that reason. Great, what an interesting story. And I think, you know, it's so true. A lot of people will say that, you know, higher education was not kind of what you ever really thought you were gonna do originally. (laughs) And somehow we all find our way to it in, you know, different, different paths. So it's exciting to hear all those different stories that everyone has, so. As a
2: little kid, you're saying, I don't want to go to school. And now as a big kid, I'm saying, I don't want to leave school.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Definitely. Wow. Well, that was um, a very informational um, introduction. And I I know our alumni really appreciate um, getting a chance to learn more about um, both of you, Nick and Daisy. So I I really appreciate um, the wealth of knowledge and just your partnership um, you know that you're going to bring to um, our DEI office here, and um, you know what plans and um, things that you hope to implement in in order to uh, make us succeed in those in those initiatives. So, really appreciate that. Um, what were you know from all of your different experiences? You know, Daisy, with kind of being in both um, higher education and and being in consulting, and Nick, um, same thing, kind of with moving. Um, from the high school realm to, you know, higher education. What have been some of the DEI initiatives uh, that you're most proud of, you know, within your past? And, and maybe what are, what are some of those that you hope to bring to your roles here at Moravian? Um,
3: sure, I guess I can start us on this one. Um, I guess one of the biggest things that I'm most proud of is, um, was again something that i did at, at the university of iowa last year um the um most recent campus climate survey that they that they conducted found that more than half of the faculty of color there um, had said that they were looking to you know move on or apply someplace else and the reasons that they gave was because of the hostile environments in their departments and that exploded the, the myth that was going around on campus that well, they're leaving because they're being offered more money. And, you know, in point of fact, I mean, they're saying we, we would like to stay, but the situation that we're finding in the departments were were very difficult to, to they were feeling very isolated, um, very much threatened professionally. Um, and so working with the CDE, which as I said, was a, was a student facing, um, unit um, there, there wasn't a lot that we could do for faculty but I figured what I could do um, was to put together a sort of you know a good old-fashioned department seminar where people come and you know present their research um, but we did this you know sort of as a diversity seminar um, where faculty of color or a faculty with marginalized identities or people who were you know doing research you know with those populations could, present their research to one another Um, it was a safe space where they wouldn't be criticized for well what kind of research is that or that's not real you know legitimate you know information um and it was a place to support them you know and then to provide also an opportunity for them to start building social networks outside of their departments so that they wouldn't feel quite so isolated and um you know, it was tremendously successful. We were getting about 35, 40 people, you know, showing up to this. And even when we had to switch everything to Zoom, the faculty they still came out and supported one another. I mean, people from across the campus, you know, who are doing art, you know, social sciences, you know, were coming to to listen to the physicist talking about, you know, some pretty high, high level you know, astronomical stuff, you know, it was, it was just gratifying to see and to see the communities that began to form, you know, and it, it, it did what it was supposed to do. Um, and hopefully, you know, they're able to to retain those faculty, because hopefully, they're feeling a little more comfortable there with the community of scholarship. Right.
1: Very good. I, I think that's, um, that's amazing, you know, kind of, how you took that data and, you know, you, you analyzed it, right. You, you put that data into, um, into, to practice and you, you know, you really sort of evaluated what were some of the key issues and, um, you tried to, you know, bring performance improvement to that. So, um, that's, that's really, um, important and, and, uh, something really interesting that you, you know, you kind of had your hand in. So thanks for sharing that. Mm -hmm. Daisy, how, how about yourself?
2: Yeah, you know, while Nick was speaking, I continuously heard him say "community, community, team, together." <clears throat> and so, along those lines, um, our cultural lessons teach us humility, and those that humility is based in relationships, respect, and reciprocity. So, kind of want to speak to accomplishments more from a, a team level than an individual level. So, um, kind of from macro to micro on a national level, inclusive community has been instrumental in influencing policy reform. Um, And through a lot of cultural sites bills based on the partnerships that we've developed within the private sector. Um, So actually changing national policy, right? To be more equitable and inclusive Um, and to recognize whose land we're on, right? And land tenure and indigeneity. On a more regional level, uh, we've raised and donated over $100,000 since the pandemic started to support Native lands and peoples through community-led initiatives that address those who are disproportionately impacted by COVID, uh, specifically in the Southwest, and folks can go to rollerrock.org to learn a little bit more about that initiative. Um, at the city level, working with Flagstaff and making some substantial policy and narrative advances uh, with community organizing groups and the city of Flagstaff. And it's especially notable that, that these communications that took place and the policy reform that came out of them were the combi- combined knowledges and talents of folks across the political spectrum who shared in common, a desire to have a more diverse and equitable society. Um, And I think that's notable in this time when everything seems very divided and um, folks are feeling like they need a a sense of continuity and a sense of community. And so to be able to work on discriminatory housing practices, um, racial profiling, the pandemic of missing and murdered indigenous women, girls and two-spirit relatives, uh, holistic health issues and to do that in a way that brings community together into listening and learning forums. And if folks are interested in learning more about that, I strongly encourage you to check out Indigenous Circle of Flagstaff for more information. And then sort of the last part of your question related to Moravian College, um, bringing it down to the micro personal level, My hope for Moravian College is reflected in a lot of the outreach I've been getting from former students and colleagues whose identities are historically and contemporarily underrepresented in higher education and undervalued in employment. They're reaching out for letters of recommendation to pursue careers and graduate school opportunities. And I'm committed to Moravian College because I believe in their potential to transition to a culture that inclusively and equitably rebuilds the capacity of students, staff, and faculty. And I intentionally say rebuild because I think oftentimes we look at populations who have been minoritized, oppressed, otherized, pushed into the margins as um, you know, uh, coming from a place of deficit instead of seeing the difference as strength and recognizing and owning privilege and advantage in ways that it's created those systems that have marginalized and have oppressed and using that privilege and advantage that we have as holders of higher degrees, right? To be able to break down some of those boundaries that exist. And that's not to say that you have to have those fancy magical letters after your name to do that. But it is to say that this is one of those systems that has um, excluded and acted in ways that have not been for the benefit of of folks who have the intellect, talent, capability to achieve great things, right? They've been systemically otherized and excluded from that. So my hope for Moravian is um, really just running with their potential to transition in that space and rebuild the capacity of, of students, faculty, staff that are currently here and those that that would like to be here and have the potential to do great things here.
1: Fantastic. Well, well said, um, and I, I appreciate you know um, sort of your hopes and and just talking about what you've you know what accomplishments you've you've succeeded in the past um, with. Ha- is there any you know initiatives currently or or any upcoming initiatives you know that, that both of you can. Can speak about in the DEI office that you're currently working through. I, I know this virtual transition has has probably kept both of you quite busy um, with uh which is the onboarding process, but any any sort of um, initiatives or or things that you're kind of working working through currently
3: Yeah, I've got a couple of things that I'm trying to get spun up and and again, mostly sort of you know doing some some grant writing. Uh, to try to start working on developing a pipeline of students with diverse backgrounds so that we can start increasing the numbers, but then also um, working on trying to get some funding to get an orientation program um, similar to the one that I ran at the University of Iowa for historically underrepresented global majority LGBTQ first-generation students up and running because um, that program, which had a, a private donor, um, you know, funding that one um, for the last 15, 16 years, I mean, we, we've got, you know, we, the University of Iowa has lots of data, about 15 years worth of data to show that the students who participate in this program, you know, their persistence and retention rates from first to second semester, first to second year, not only outpace the you know the underrepresented students and you know and you know marginalized students um who didn't participate but they're out you know outstripping all of the students you know white students included um and so i'd like to see if we can put together something comparable here um and, and again one of the things that, that really attracted me to moravian was its size it's small so that you know whatever we do is going to have a significant and substantial impact across campus. And so I'm hoping that if we can get that up and running, uh, we'll be able to see some significant increases in the persistence and retention and then hence graduation rates uh, over the next four, six years. Fantastic.
1: Did you want uh, me to add to that? Yeah, that <laughs> I was would be great, Daisy. Pausing
2: and waiting, I think that Nick did a great job, so I wasn't sure yeah. if you wanted me to
1: chime in. Um, another question that that I had, um, and kind of following up with that, is you know, if alumni would like to get in contact with you, you know, if they have any recommendations, if they have any suggestions, if they just want to talk through their Moravian experience, you know what is the best way that they can get in contact with you in your office?
2: Um, they can make checks payable to Office of <laughs> Diversity, <laughs> Equity, and Inclusion. Um, <laughs> Subject line: Moving it forward, pointing the needle towards equity. Um, no, I think I think one of the best ways to reach us. We have a whole team, right? We're two we're two folks of a whole team. And when I say that, I don't mean we have a huge staff within our office. I mean that that folks came before us and laid the groundwork, and these are continuing efforts that we're picking up from and running with. And we wouldn't be able to to be effective in the ways that we intend to if it wasn't for their work and their contributions. So that said, you know, reach out. reach out to our team, reach out to the community. Um, DEI at moravian.edu is an email address that will find its way to Nick and to me and to, Janes and the Carols and all the other folks that have been involved with what we're doing. Gavin, I call him our command center. He's a a temporary admin that we have that we would not be able to function without. Um, So that's a great way to reach us. Our website also includes a diversity action plan that speaks to a lot of what Nick was talking about and identifies a lot of the structures around next steps that we intend to take and that we're currently undergoing. Nick, I don't know if you want to provide more contact info. I would give my own personal email address um, or my own Moravian email address, but I am up to my eyebrows and inbox and I, I can't seem to dig myself out. So I don't want to miss those important contacts. And I'm not sure how to check my voicemail, to be honest. So <laughs> you can call, but I might not get it. Uh, working on it. It's part of the onboarding process. We're getting
3: there. We're on that, Yeah. But I mean, actually our our phone numbers are actually listed in the uh, the Moravian directory, so mm-hmm. you can find us there. And I have figured out how to how to access my my voicemail, um, and actually even responded to a couple of them so far. So hey. yes, um, you yeah, can. Get... We have eight degrees between the two of us, and we can't <laughs> even get our computers to talk to the television
2: so that we can conference. <laughs>
3: right. So, but yeah, I mean, if, if folks have ideas or if they want to talk to us. Um, you know, the other thing that I think is really important, you know, particularly for alumni who are out there, if they want to share what some of their experiences mm-hmm. have been to let us know how far we've come and yet how far we still have to go, mm-hmm. um, those stories are important. That information is tremendously important, particularly when we start going to bat for various constituencies here, whether it's faculty or students, you know, and that's another issue that's, you know, particularly near and dear to my heart is making sure that our faculty of color and our faculty of diverse backgrounds have the support they need to be successful as they're going up for tenure and promotion. Um, That, you know, is particularly, you know, troubling, you know, writ large across the academy in the United States, the number of, of, faculty of color that actually make it, you know, through promotion and tenure and then get promoted to full professor are are frighteningly low. So, you know, if, if you have stories or if you know of where we can, you know, speak with people and you want to share those stories with us, please do. We need that information so that we can be more effective advocates for the people that we are here to serve. Absolutely.
1: And, and um, you know, as far as putting up the information for the general, you know, DEI um, email address and contact information, uh, we can, you know, be sure to put that information up on our podcast platform so um, that alumni can access that and, and be sure to get in contact with you. Um, you know, if they'd like to share any of those experiences and, or any recommendations and um, suggestions moving forward as we kind of build out um, you know, what DEI, um, continues to look like at Moravian. So not a, not a problem with that.
0: Absolutely. And if there's ever, you know, for any of our listeners, you can always reach out to Justin and I, we can make the connection and get you Daisy or Nick or the DEI office as well. We're more than happy to make it. And, and, you know, all joking aside, as Daisy said, you know, there, there always is, an opportunity to make uh, a gift to Moravian to really support these efforts um, and you can do that very easily on the website if you go to moravian.edu forward forward slash make a gift um, and you can put that designation in there as well that it's for for DEI so we're happy to help them in any way possible. Daisy, Nick, before we wrap up here today, we have one question that we ask everyone that comes on our podcast. Uh, It might be a little bit more difficult for you guys to answer since we're only a month into your tenure here, Um, but we always like to ask, you know, what is that one thing that you have really found makes Moravian so special? What makes Moravian Moravian? You know, for our alums, there's certain things that they remember and they love and they miss. For our faculty and staff, you know, there's other parts of the community that you know, is what keeps them here and and makes them want to come to work every day. So is there anything in in your month so far that you guys have picked up on that you're like, yeah, this is why I'm here and this is why I'm gonna stay here?
2: Nick and I do this all the time where we look at each other, is it gonna be you, is it gonna be me? Is it gonna be you, (laughs) is it gonna be me? Um, I'll take this one first, Nick, since I I usually sit back and and ride your coattails. For me, it would be Diversity House. It would be the DEI house. You know, it's, I walk to work every day. I live about a mile from campus and uh, I walk by the Indian Mission School and I see messages about you know, educating the Indians and, and all this messaging that says that native people don't have a presence here in the contemporary here and now. And then I walk to campus and I see that Black Lives Matter sign or a flag rather hanging on the porch of diversity house. And I'm like, I'm home now, I belong here. That would be my one thing. And the people that I've met that have been incredibly welcoming to, to to think of this as a
0: home, right? That's made all the difference for me. Absolutely. And for some of our listeners who don't know, we do have, as Daisy was talking about, she's talking about that DEI house. Um, that's a somewhat newer space, so some of our older alums may not know about that. certainly is something that they probably didn't have access to when they were a student here, but there is um, a house right on Main Street that is dedicated to our DEI offices and space um, for some of our students to gather in a safe way right now because of everything going on but you know to to gather and come together so that's what daisy's talking about when she says the dei house for anyone who doesn't know
2: come visit us third floor penthouse suites
3: (laughs) or just stick around on the on the first floor in what we like to call the family room there you go (laughs) (laughs) yeah more often than not i'm i'm walking around the house without my shoes on you know just in my socks so just to give you a sense of how comfortable we we try to keep it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and again, as Daisy said, I mean, you know, more often than not, I'll usually, you know, I'm a little further away from campus, but I'll oftentimes, if not walk in the whole way, at least, you know, or drive into South Campus, and then um, we'll usually meet up somewhere around the, the bookstore and walk in together, and we'll get some strategizing time, you know, in before we actually get to the house. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, picking up on what she said, you know, it's that, that for me, it's been that wonderful warmth of community. Um, I mean, even before we got here, I mean, my, my own private email, you know, started getting flooded with, you know, with messages welcoming us to, you know, to Moravian. And I mean, I've never been so eagerly anticipated as, as I've been here. Um, and, And that really, really makes the world of difference i have not really felt you know this wanted before <laughs> professionally, and so i'm it's it's been you know reassuring and to get the kind of support that we have had you know from from President Grigsby down um, has just been tremendous. Wonderful. so go greyhounds
0: yes. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. You know, for giving us a little bit of information about yourselves. You know, Moravian is so happy to have you guys, and I'm sure that all of our alums are ready to come to campus and to be able to meet you at events and hopefully we'll be able to do that soon um so thank you both for taking the time out of your busy schedule since we're just getting started and and daisy's still trying to figure out her voicemail and all of that (laughs) we appreciate you guys taking the time to join us on the show so thank you both so much and again just a big welcome to moravian we're so happy to have you here with us we're happy to be here thank you absolutely For all of our listeners, thank you for tuning in for another episode of Houndcast, and we will see you guys in a few more weeks. Have a good one.